Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The official sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast is Fresh Roasted Coffee. Let's get you some great tasting coffee to help you start your day off right. Whether you're shopping for coffees, teas, syrups, mixes, mugs, gift cards, and more, when you get to checkout, enter in the promo code CANWEGET20 to get 20% off your first purchase of the delicious coffee that helps Nick and I get through these episodes. Head to our sponsors at FreshRoastedCoffee.com today. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. On the program today, everybody strap in, Nick. The race to the 2024 White House. Yeah, I know. We're about a year early. But on the GOP side, it's heating up. Nick and I with reactions from this past week's comments from former President Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Plus, later on the program, Nick, I knew I shouldn't have used Silicon Valley Bank to house Leon Media Network money. Uh, Pedro Pedro Costa, former Fed reporter for the Wall Street Journal, Business Insider. He's the host of the Fed Speak podcast. He's going to be joining me in the next segment. We're going to break down all the latest news on the second and third largest banks in America going under. Uh, Nick, before I turn to you, some housekeeping notes here as I talk to you about this new show on Leon Media Network. You've heard us talk about it before. The Inner Puzzle, a new podcast out now as a part of Leon Media Network. Join four-time Emmy Award winner and host Paula Byron. Each week, she takes you inside the stories of real people who share their struggles, their battles, and find the strength and courage to get through it all. New episodes every Wednesday, and you can listen on leonmedianetwork.com or wherever you get your podcast. Go check out Paula Fowler, her. Follow The Inner Puzzle on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Can we please talk podcasts on Twitter? Can we please talk on TikTok, can we please talk podcast? We're all over the place, Nick. And follow Nick and me on Twitter. You want to engage in conversation? Nick is very active on Twitter, as we've mentioned here on this program, uh, as people that listen to us now because of that, because, oh, you guys don't cover stuff. Well, guess what? Uh, welcome into the Can We Please Talk podcast. How you doing, buddy? How's, how's everything going? I know you're laughing over there, but I mean, you got... I, I that, am. I'm coming. <laughs> let's be honest, okay? I, this year, you and I have had a few tweets that have gone like, you know, decent, you know, uh, five, seven, eight thousand views. You know, I, I we always text each other. I had one that I think had like, you know, 200 and something likes about something. But you have one that, again, uh, you're going to give the numbers here. <laughs> give the numbers. Go ahead. Do your flex there. How many how many how many people have seen it, liked it, go ahead, retweeted I it? I think at last at last check, it was over one hundred and seventy two thousand. I mean, that is that is a lot of people engaging with Nick Saveri on Twitter just because 
he commented to somebody that worked for the UN. Like it was, it was like a legitimate person. I always forget that. Yeah. Verified account. Anyway, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. You know, it's funny about, as you bring it up about the social media presence, it's, uh, it's just wild. I, last night I saw someone talk about the, about the wall street journal. There is an editorial that we may get into this episode or coming up, uh, bringing up one of the potential causes of the Silicon Valley bank, um, collapse. And it was, I mean, I would turn, I would consider what the editorial charged as, as being racist or suggesting racial bias. Um, and it's funny because some of my friends in a text group, I'm a part of don't agree with that. And that's, that's good. But, you know, so someone tweeted that about, um, like the editorial and it not being reflective of the newspaper. And he was trying to defend the wall street journal. I called him out. I said, you can't like that's that's in your paper. Yeah, this is not about reporters. It's not about reporting because he was trying to be protective of that. That has nothing to do with it. At the end of the day, on the masthead, it reads the Wall Street Journal in your editorial section. That's right. And and that 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 got a bunch of hits because I think it, it resonates with people that you can't dissociate things. Yeah. And now we've talked about that with Fox on this show. And our intention here is to never dissociate. Yeah, you know, we talk about credible reporting and we talk about the sideshow. You know, during prime time, but we're not trying to say on on this show that you know the Fox News Channel is you know in one polar opposite of the other. We're not trying to say it's completely good. Not trying to say it's completely bad, which I know is controversial because I think people have very passionate opinions about the network. But what we are trying to say is that just as a simple media experiment, you can put that network under the microscope and see the difference between actual reporting. And and what really isn't reporting at all? It's it's editorializing. That's that's essentially what's going on. And yeah, so just seeing that pick up. But on the personal side, things are good. You know, we're just busy. You know, my wife's got a lot going on with her. You know, with her work at the hospital, they're getting a residency program going. So she's really excited about that for a pediatric residency. It's the first time there. Um, you know, the girls are doing well right now. We're just going through a sleep cycle. It might just be with the changing clocks. Oh, I don't know what changing, it is, but it's definitely the changing clocks. Threw people I mean, off. So yeah, I mean, it's seven thirty at night and eight o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, you know, it's sunny outside for for a kid that's like two years old. They're like, "What's going on here? Isn't it supposed mm-hmm. to be pitch black, dark?" Um, I, you know, I think last episode when we were recording, I had mentioned, oh, March Madness. And I was so excited about Rutgers. And since we recorded that, I forget when you and I got in person. And obviously for people that don't know, Nick and I are both Rutgers grads since then, they've just completely, uh, just blown everything. I mean, they, they did not make the NCAA tournament. They just lost as of this taping in the first round of the NIT. And so, the people that know me that listen to this show, I, I get the text messages from folks, you know, and by the way, real quick, before we get into our first segment here, do you get this from people? I get people that text me and will needle me because they associate me with something else. So let me give you an example. Rutgers is a perfect example. I'll get text messages from people. One of my best friends, yeah, well, first of all, I only have one best friend, but he'll text me right after something that happened to Rutgers. And kind of slide in this comment that's almost like, you know, like a jab, like a like a stab to the midsection, kind of like the Chappelle show where they where they they stab the person in the in the, in the real mad real world episode. And I never do that to people. I never, if something happens bad to, let's say something you're associated with, or in in the male case, it's always sports teams, right? But like, 
I treat Rutgers very differently. I didn't go to New York Knicks University. I didn't go to Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders University. Like I went to Rutgers University. Like I used to hang out with some of these athletes that played and, and I feel way differently about that. Now, again, we can comment on whether or not caring about a sports team. And by the way, we're going to have somebody on that's written a book about the psychology of sports fans. Yes, that's right, Nick. You don't know about this. Um, we got turned on to him from our buddy Alex Clement. But the psychology of sports fans and how it's good to root for sports and how it brings people together, uh, that's going to be for another episode, another segment. But I always get the text messages from people, and I'm always like, it's a microcosm because you're doing something in your life and you text me when something bad happens in my life. But I don't text you when something bad happens in your life to needle you about it. I only text you when something good happens. Hey, happy birthday. Hey, so you got a new job. Posted it on LinkedIn. I don't know why you did. You didn't have to, but you posted it on LinkedIn. Congrats on that new job. Do you get that? Because you, you, I mean, I know your friends from, from college. Obviously, we're all friends in, in that group. But like, do you get that with some of your friends where they just something that's directly associated with you, they text you about it when it goes south. Do you get that? I I actually don't. Um, it's it's funny. So it's talking me. about. <laughs> yeah, it's no. Um, you know, I mean, people know that I am. You know, they know I'm a Raiders fan. Yeah, I mean, my my support of Rutgers not does not run nearly as close to yours. Right. I will say, by the way, for listeners of this show and viewers, I always wanted to shout you out because something I've said to people that you've brought up about the difference of supporting your college team over a pro team. You just hit on it, but you said it to me years ago in a way that I thought was was just really eloquent, which is the fact that you know you're not in Oakland, as you had said, and this is I think when we did our Raiders podcast years ago, you know, we're not Raiders. You know, we're not for you as a Knicks fan. Um like professional teams, our identity with them is purely from a fandom standpoint. But you were the one who put me on to, but you are a Scarlet Knight. Like that's that's the, the that's right. the degree that happens to be the mascot of the universe we went to, so it means something different. Uh, no, interestingly, the most recent bevy of texts I got was yesterday. Um, you know, I was talking to I was talking to my boss. You know, we we're just you know having a, a biweekly check in, and I kid you not, I must have had three or four texts just blow my phone up about Jimmy Garoppolo signing with the Raiders. Oh god, it was funny. It was just like everyone's like, "Hey, Garoppolo," you know. And the first guy was cryptic. He's like, "Hey, you guys got a new quarterback." I'm like, dude, I'm I'm kind of talking to my boss right now. <laughs> I'll find out later. <laughs> but in terms of bad news, no. But it, it, it's funny because conversely, I, I feel the same way. I have friends who are, I have a good friend who's a Cowboys fan. In the last two years, obviously, Dallas gets bounced in the first round. Both laughably funny how it happens. And I care about them a lot. I think this is what you're hitting at. It would never occur to me to send a mocking message to him. Because this poor, you know, this poor guy, like, that's his team. Like we used to go out Thursday nights, you know, be at the same bar. And I mean, we've known each other for well, 20 years and I would never, it would never occur to me to do that. And I have a lot of friends who are Bronco fans, oddly enough, you know, and throughout last year, you know, Broncos country, let's ride. I mean, it's, right. it's laughable. It never occurred to me to, to be like, Hey, you know, what's what's what, your team sucks right now. Right. Yeah, I, 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 the I, Raiders I, haven't lost them since 2019, but I just never, I never yeah, understand it. Like I, people, it must be me. They, people tend to do it to me. And I've always, I've never been, like you said, I've never been the reverse. Hey, the craziest game of all time happened. And we've seen viral videos of people punching their TVs, throwing their TVs, which by the way, is a little crazy, 
but I do empathize with it a little bit as somebody who has broken remote controls before or something like that, or punched their hand through a wall. I get all that, but I'm, it's still crazy. I get all that. But what I'm saying is, is that I've never texted somebody knowing the agony I felt. Why would I text you in a moment of agony for you? So anyway, we leave it there because let's switch to actual teams in the political arena, uh, Nick. Uh, what a great segue, Mike. The GOP. All right. Former President Donald Trump was lashing out at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis this past week as he kicked off I don't know what this was, a speech tour, a campaign tour. Uh, he started a debut speech in Iowa, rehashing his 2020 campaign claims of the election being stolen and then attacking his political rival, Ron DeSantis, who has not obviously announced formally yet that he will be running uh, for the highest office in the land in 2024. This campaign event happened in Davenport, Iowa. Uh, it was built by the Trump campaign as an address on education policy. So Nick, listen up. And the former president appeared preoccupied with just about anything other than the American school system. Take a listen to a little bit of that, what he says. And then the funniest part in all this, and this is a really great montage and shout out to our producer over there, Tim Meehan, for putting this together. Because, Nick, I want you to react on this on the opposite side. The montage is about some of the stuff that Trump says during this speech, how he labels Ron DeSantis. He's trying to really put him in a box with respect to Republican ideology, right? He is this type of Republican because when he served in Congress, he was under Paul Ryan, blah, 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 blah. And then right after that is a clip with Brian Kilmeade from Fox News asking Ron DeSantis how he responds to something like that. Take a listen to the montage. And he also fought against Social Security. He wanted to decimate it and voted against it three times. He wanted the minimum retirement age to be lifted to People that are 70 years old, a substantial increase over what it is right now. That's a big increase. And he also voted to severely cut Medicare. I will not be cutting Medicare and I will not be cutting Social Security. We're leaving the age where But you have to remember, Ron was a disciple of Paul Ryan, who is a rhino loser. To be honest with you, Ron reminds me a lot of Mitt Romney. So I don't think you're going to be doing so well here, but we're going to find out. Are you worried of being defined before you do it? Because you watch President Trump come out and try to label you as a Paul Ryan, Jeb Bush type of Republican. Uh, and are you worried about being defined because you're governor and you're not a candidate yet? So when you have a record of achievement, uh, people can call you a name, but that's not going to trump the achievement. And so you know, we've built an astounding record of achievement. The best is yet to come. We're going to do a lot more over the next few months. And that's what people look to. Now, if I was just like, you know, some random, maybe like a senator that didn't have accomplishments, then maybe you, you know, someone could try to define you. But I'm defined by my accomplishments. I'm defined by leading this state. And I'm defined by having a state, which is the number one destination for Americans who are looking for a better way of life. A Des Moines Register media comp poll of Iowa Republicans got released last week, Nick, and it shows that pre former President Trump is on the decline in the Hawkeye state. 47% saying they would definitely vote for the former president if he's the nominee in 2024. That's a 22 point decline since June of 2021. The former president has dropped 22 points with Iowa Republicans as he did this speech there. We talked about a couple episodes back about the CPAC numbers that drew very smaller crowds out there in Maryland. A lot of reporters were reporting 
on that front because of competing events that Governor DeSantis had in Florida. All right, Nick, um, I want to you could even touch on the other two folks that are kind of rounding out this this fatal four way so far with uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, who's going to be running for office. And obviously, Nikki Haley has announced she's running for president. I'm not even counting Tim Scott because he's polling less than one percent in this. The, the senator from South Carolina. But you want to throw him in there? Sure. Throw him in there. Um, the most fascinating thing to me during my time following politics, and I go back at least till 2004 when I was fully formed and working in news and politics all the time at Fox News, um, is what happened in 2015 going into 2016. The GOP field and the way Trump was able to just come out of nowhere, almost like a horse, you know, in a, in a big horse race to win that when you had front runners like Jeb Bush, you had other candidates that, you know, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Nikki Haley, Rand Paul, all these other establishment Republicans. And here comes out of nowhere, Donald Trump being so jovial and joking and, and nickname associated with some of these guys. And he was able to win the nomination and really champion the fact that, hey, these guys have been working here for forever. It's time to open up the window and drain the swamp, right? And to quote the former president. I want you to give me your takeaways on not only what we just played in the montage there with former President Trump and going back and forth and what DeSantis said on Fox News about him, but then about like how this shapes up, because there are some valid points there, right? Like what is the actual state of the Republican Party right now? What are we defining it as? Because Trump has split off a good portion of those people and made them you know, this MAGA wing that, that we're labeling at. And and Ron is trying to kind of dance both lines. He wants to use his state as the example. Hey, I can do it here where woke goes to die and all these cultural issues that the Republicans seem to fight on and, and die on. Uh, but then also, it's not wrong. He did work with Paul Ryan. He did come up in that mold, right? Like he's mentioned before that he loves Jeb Bush. Like, so how do you, how does Ron DeSantis fight that duality? Give me some of your takeaways, Nick, here as 2024 is fast approaching. Yeah. I, I mean, first, it, it's a fascinating race because what you're looking at is, and I, I've said this numerous times on the show, and I don't, I don't think I give it enough weight. I mean, I, I'm the one that say it, obviously you think so, but I don't think I'm saying it as repeatedly or as clear as I can. This is stunning to see the Republican Party essentially break apart in a way that we've seen, that we've accused Democrats of forever. You know, the Democrat Party historically has always had a wing that is far left leading, that believes the government should be providing you with everything. Now, whether that's socialism or not, I'm not going to get into that here. And then there's a, a side of the party that is leaning more towards capitalism, that is okay with a regulated, regulated economy. And somewhere in the middle is a debate about crime and what does it mean to be a progressive? So we've seen that, that battle for the soul of the Democratic Party for a while. And in many ways, you could argue that the nomination and the victory of Joe Biden was a victory for moderate Democrats, and it really quelled what felt like an uprising from a, a far left wing of the party. On the flip side, you know, the Republicans in 2012, you know, with Mitt Romney didn't have an identity. You know, the Republicans like Paul Ryan, you know, tried to be more fiscally conservative, socially, I wouldn't say necessarily liberal, but certainly not bringing up the issues that Ron DeSantis is doing, uh, that Donald Trump has tried to do. 
So it was a question of what is this party becoming? And from 2012 to the nomination of Donald Trump, there was a struggle for identity. Democrats have always gotten away with being the party of hope. It's been that way since John Kennedy, since John Kennedy. You know, in every generation, a Democrat comes forward and simply puts forward the idea of a vision for a better America. It narrowly won Kennedy an election in 1960. It certainly helped Bill Clinton in 1992, and it certainly helped Barack Obama in 2008. The counter for Republicans has always been conservatism. So what does it mean? What does it mean to preserve values, Republican values, I guess? And Donald Trump took that to an even far right direction. I don't know where this and for DeSantis, it's a tough it's a tough sell because to try to sell himself as a moderate Republican makes zero sense. You know, before we start recording, yeah, you know, we just read a story in Florida. You know, a Hyatt Regency hotel in Miami just lost its alcohol license, um, the ability to sell alcohol, because apparently on December 27th, there was a drag show that was attended by people under the age of 16. Bear in mind, those people under the age of 16 had to be accompanied by an adult. Well, in the state of Florida, they are making it illegal for children to be able to attend those events, even with an adult. So the punishment, essentially, for that hotel, and the hotel was warned by the state of Florida, if you go forward with this, it will come after you, essentially, was to remove their liquor license. How in the world is the party of freedom, the one that sells itself as such, able to try to position itself as a party that's going to start cracking down on business, of all things, especially for a reason about drag shows. And we've been seeing this a lot lately. Uh, we've seen other states enact laws to to make it illegal, essentially to be to to be um, to dress in drag in public. And you could argue it's coded language for trans for trans for the transgender. But if you know, Ron DeSantis, if that's the position you take, then what exactly makes you different than Donald Trump? Because that seems like a desperate grab for essentially white heterosexuals who are just panicked by any, you know, any sexual orientation that is not heterosexual or anything that promotes identity that is of a non-white person. That DeSantis then is no different than Trump. You know, something that's been sticking out is DeSantis has talked a lot about the rating of Florida. Florida's on the rise. You know, I've been looking at a, a U.S. news report about where Florida currently ranks. Now, to hear Ron DeSantis would make it sound like the state of Florida is ranked number one in the country. It's actually ranked 10th. And according to a ranking scorecard from U.S. News, breaking it down, under healthcare they rank 25, under education ranked third, which is an important one, under economy ranked eighth. Now, part of that economy happens to be you know, led by a cartoonish mouse, which is already at odds with Florida. Infrastructure at 20, opportunity at 33, fiscal stability at eight. Now, that one makes all the sense in the world, considering that by the time you get to Florida, you probably are financially stable. Crime corrections at 26, natural environment at 18. They're middle of the road, essentially. I mean, they're, I give, and I don't necessarily give DeSantis all the credit for this because he's only been in office there for a number of years. But the state of Florida is a relatively stable environment. But what DeSantis's policies have done is, at least from a social standpoint, has really called that into question. So the so what I would ask is what exactly is his policy vision? Because in, in the state of Florida, it's just stop woke. That's that's all all I ever hear from him is this obsession. And from where Trump stands, I give him credit. He opened with, "I'm not going to go after Social Security. I'm not going to go after Medicare, Medicaid." 
which is important because that is what Biden has been going after the, the entire Republican Party about. And, and rightly so for some of the, the cuts that Senator Ron Johnson have pushed forward and other Republicans who have said they would like to have the they would ha- like to have Social Security and Medicaid essentially under Congress every five years. So I credit Trump for saying that. But I don't know where this I don't know where that battle goes. Um, I've used the argument often of the 1912 presidential election. I think it's 1912 where Teddy Roosevelt goes basically goes to a third party because how you know uh, William Howard Taft became the Republican nominee underneath <laughs> your Roosevelt. Um, so Roosevelt gives him the middle finger. And says, "All right, I'll just start the Bull Moose Party," and you know, and they basically split the vote, which allows for Woodrow Wilson to w- to win the presidency. I don't think Trump will go the route of a third party, but that's where it gets really fascinating: is yeah. what happens if you know if one person narrowly wins and the same thing for DeSantis you know and again we can't stress this enough he is not declared and i think there's a reason why he hasn't declared all, all this being said i cannot before i turn this back to mike i cannot stress this enough i'm going to say it here and i'm going to say it from now until election day to the media networks i exclude ours because i think we do a better job of this do not let this race essentially be a circus like 2016 do not let the hateful words from both of these people be just pushed aside as the rantings of a lunatic when these are people that are serious people that seriously want to do harm in our country when former president trump led off his campaign talking about mexicans where was the media the word racism barely appeared in newspapers until far later and until we have that revelation on the bus with billy bush or whomever it was about you know trump feeling like he just you know grab a woman's um vagina essentially where was the outcry? It was just cartoonish, as we saw as evidenced by the former head of CNN, who openly admitted that Trump was good for ratings and there was no passion to rightfully call him out. You know, I will say on just on that note, I saw something uh, with I forget the the representative from K- Kentucky. Uh, I think his name is Comer, Representative Comer, that he's the one that's, you know, been going all over TV, specifically on right wing stations to talk about his investigations into the Biden crime family. Right. And we don't know what they've been doing and stuff like that. And Bill Hem- Bill Hammer, who hosts American newsroom on Fox news, had him on. And there was a clip that went viral now because at the end of it, Hammer's like, all right, we leave it there. Congressman, uh, whatever nets out your investigations, we wish you luck, but you've had five years and you've turned up no evidence so far. So I don't know, you know, if this is, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it was very like, you know, you're, you're it's, this is like put up or shut up. Like, uh, well, when are you going to get serious and start doing some stuff? And then he's like, we'll leave it there. And, and like, they just went to break. <laughs> and I don't know if that's the right way to do it, but I didn't mind that way of doing it. Because back to the media part of this, before I wrap here, it's, do you have the person on first and foremost? We've talked about this before. Serious people. I, you got to be serious. And these bookers at these networks, you know, and, and we're going to be having somebody that's going to be coming to Leon Media Network soon. So a teaser on that, that has worked in government, that has a name that is on TV right now. Uh, and that person, you know, knows Booker is very friendly and uh, very well, excuse me, and can easily get access to be able to get on a network and dissect some political news. So it's just as easy for a sitting member of Congress. The problem is, is that we shouldn't be giving oxygen to some of these things. We're like We just should not be giving oxygen to Lauren Boebert, 
who just admitted the other day that her son is 17 years old and got a 15 year old pregnant and she's writing an act to pass on the house floor or at least to submit to the house floor to defund Planned Parenthood. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Like, how are we supposed to take you serious when you can't even control what's happening in your own household or outside of your own household for that matter? Um, one thing I wanted to say before we go to the break, um, several voters talked with, and I was reading this over on NBC News because Governor DeSantis had an event around the same time that former President Trump gave his speech in Iowa. And there was some quotes there from people that were in the crowd that were Trump supporters, but went to the DeSantis event because they happened to be you know, in Florida at the time, or at least nearby the area. And there was this one Carrie Bomber, 42-year-old mother from Davenport, uh, Iowa, funny enough, who is an Iowa Republican and a big Trump supporter. But she's open to other candidates, she said in this quote. Uh, Part of it is everybody knows that Trump can do it, but Trump needs to learn when to keep his mouth shut. So people really need to steer away from that because they're nervous because of what he's going to say versus what he's doing for us. Carrie, I have no idea what that sentence means, but you know what? Unfortunately, you get a vote in this country. We leave it there, Nick. When we come back after the break, speaking about I want to educate myself. Nick and I know nothing about investments, banking. We don't know anything about it. Pedro da Costa, he's a former Fed reporter, Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, Reuters. You've probably read his articles in the past, or maybe you've heard his voice because he's the host of the Fed Speak podcast. He's going to join me in the next segment to break down everything that happened with Silicon Valley Bank. Pedro, after the break. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Nick, today's episode is presented as always by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri. Nick, tell these people, coffee snob it up here, tell these people why Fresh Roasted Coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of Can We Please Talk. You know, often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you can you can make from home. And you need good quality coffee to do that. And that's what Fresh Roasted Coffee offers. You know, between single origin, between blends, flavors, anything on the coffee spectrum they've got. But more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, Often when you purchase coffee, you don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many different varieties, so many different opportunities, so many different things you could choose from. And Fresh Roasted Coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says, hey, figure out what your cu- what your coffee cup is. Figure out what blend works for you. I've gotten some single o- origin recommendations, so is Mike, and that's influenced everything. And what they recommend, you can get in a Keurig cup, the way Mike takes it. You can take it in the way I do it, which is typically through a French press. Or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. No, that's very well said. And all of this is available at FreshRoastedCoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with Fresh Roasted Coffee. But you get a discount for being a listener of Can We Please Talk. All you got to do is enter in the promo code CANWEGET20 at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase. 
Head to FreshRoastedCoffee.com today. All right, here to educate us on all of this banking news, all these bank collapses that have happened. He was telling me off air about two other ones that went under the radar. I, I know nothing about any of this. Luckily, we are fortunate enough to hear from this man. He's the current reporter for MI Market News. He's also the host of the Fed Speak podcast. You can check it out wherever you get your podcast. And that's Pedro da Costa. Pedro, uh, thank you so much for happening on the podcast with me. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So, Pedro, you know, I reached out to you because um, there's just a bunch going on in this space. And one of the goals that Nick and I started out when we started Can We Please Talk was really to inform and educate, right? I'm a former news producer. Nick works in education with a bunch of education, uh, excuse me, a bunch of school districts throughout the country. And we want to educate from our subject matter expertise. I know nothing about the banking system, nothing about it, and nothing about the latest news that has happened with a few of these banks that have gone under and are now under FDIC control, if I'm even saying that correctly. So can you give us a 30,000-foot overview for the people that maybe don't follow finance news, like myself and others, seeing a bank like this go under, what are some of the main points that people should understand about all of this? Absolutely. And I can relate to that perspective of a layperson because I came into, you know, I've, I've been doing this for, this for 20 years now, but when I came into it, I was a political science major with little economics background. You know, the numbers didn't add up to me. So I had no idea what a financial crisis was and what monetary policy was or what the Fed did or any of that. So I guess, you know, what it what specifically happened at SVB is that it seemed to be a pretty poorly managed bank. And they just made some bad bets on, you know, they're trying to earn extra returns on on some bonds that turned out to go the other way, basically. You know, financial markets, are, to, to explain it in, in the regular person's terms, it's not unlike a casino. And if you make your bet and the, the market goes the other way, you could lose your shirt. And in, in SVB's case specifically, people started to like spread rumors that the bank wasn't doing well. And that led to a classic like run on the bank where people started to withdraw their deposits, except this time, because we live in a digital world that happened at record speed and people managed to withdraw as much as $42 billion just in one night, you know, one 24 hour period. So it's kind of an unfathomable sum. If you think about how long it would take for people to actually line up and get that kind of cash. So that's essentially what happened. And the implications seem to be pretty widespread because it's not, it hasn't stopped with SVB. And now the problem seems to be in Europe and people are worried about the health of Credit Suisse and, and having covered the 2008 crisis, when things start to spread like that, it, it seems like it's going to take a while before this is over and there's going to be other you know, firms that, that run into trouble potentially. Well, that's not good to hear, uh, Pedro. So we're starting off on a bad note right there. I, I wanted to. Read I apologize <laughs> to be the, for being the bearer of bad news, but I'm just just reporting the facts. No, no worries, and and that's the great part about this. You know, the different journalists that we have on that have the subject matter expertise or are covering something. You have such a long tenure in covering this. I wanted to read something for you that I saw last week from a CNN report because I would love for you uh, to break this down for us. So CNN reported last, v, uh, last week on SVB that it had sold a bunch of securities at a loss and that it would sell $2.5 billion in new shares to shore up its balance sheet. For a literacy moment for our audience out there, can you explain that in layman terms and what that means? Sure. Uh, 
that's that's a challenge because the jargon is deep. But I, I guess they were basically trying to raise new funds to support, you know, to make clear that they were a strong bank that could that could support the deposits that were being withdrawn. They were trying to basically stem the run on the bank that was occurring at the time by getting new a new influx of funds. But instead, it had the it actually had the opposite effect. It sent a signal that like, hey, we actually are in trouble. And the rumors are true. And so therefore people, you know, it exacerbated the condition of the bank and people started to take their money out of the, out of SVB, you know, even more rapidly. What happened over the weekend was that because of the fear that this would happen at other regional banks were, whose stock was being battered in a similar way, you're talking about stocks that were down like 70% on the day and like, you know, down from like 130 something to 20 something over the last like two, three weeks, uh, some of those. So what happened was the Federal Reserve and the, and the FDIC basically bailed out the, the uninsured depositors, people who hold funds over 250000 in their account at, at SVB and Signature Bank while closing the bank and, and allowing banks to borrow at cheaper rates in order to fund these, these potentially bad bets on treasuries. But uh, it remains to be seen how long that's going to work and whether that's going to stem the the pain that we're feeling so far. You know, I wanted to follow up on that because you kind of fed into a little bit of what FDIC is doing. I, I want to get into the Biden administration and the federal response to all of this. Do you feel it's been adequate enough? A lot of people are pointing to the policies under the former President Donald Trump and his administration and something that they enact legislatively that maybe was part of the reason why this happened. Do you know if that is true? And and also what has been the response on the federal level from President Biden? Uh, do you feel like they're doing an adequate enough job to respond to this crisis and, and helping the American people that do have money uh, with this bank? To be honest, I cover the Fed and monetary policy so closely that it's like not really my place to judge the Biden administration's you know, response. I mean, he's been out there. He's he spoke about it. He said deposits are safe and 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 made the kind of statement that presidents need to make. So, in that sense, the response has been adequate. I think he's his administration was probably deeply involved in all and everything that happened through the Treasury Department and everything that happened both in saving Signature and SVB or at least saving their depositors. And in trying to prevent a bank run from, you know, from hitting other American banks. Uh, but, you know, I think the main issue now is how much more will need to be done. And there's a there's one big remaining question, which is, again, the uninsured depositors of these two banks have basically become insured. Right. But what's uncertain about the language of the statement that Treasury and the FDIC and, and the Fed put out on Friday is whether the remaining, you know, what if this happens to another bank? Are the uninsured depositors of that bank covered? We don't know yet. And so that remains to be tested. And as long as that question remains unanswered, I think there's going to be a lot of uncertainty in the financial system. Yeah, you know, I, there's a bunch of different directions just off of that I wanted to ask you because, you know, normally my co-host Nick Savary would be on here and I could hear him already saying, well, you mentioned the social media part. So, and how many people in this digital age just flooded this bank to take out their money because they either heard word of mouth or you know got tipped off that something was happening with this bank and it would inevitably collapse because of the age that we're living in should we be afraid more of 
bank runs like this? I think it depends on policymakers. You know, I think that's, you know, it behooves them to create firewalls that are preventative of this kind of situation. This is maybe this is a new kind of test for regulators and a new kind of environment. And in terms of pointing fingers, there's like so much blame to go around. It looks like, A, it looks like the regulation, you mentioned the, the Trump regulation, the Trump era deregulation rather, that was kind of a, a watering down of, of the, reg, the Dodd-Frank regulations when it came to these regional banks. Uh, and that, pro that may have something to do with it. I think there's going to have to be a lot of, you know, soul searching about what actually happened. But what is clear is that SVB took positions that were clearly loss making and it had the time to get out of them, but it failed to do so. There, there was like mismanagement at a fairly high level. B, it's clear that the regulators were kind of asleep at the switch. Uh, the San Francisco Fed, it was the primary regulator for SVB and the president of SVB was on, on the San Francisco Fed's board. So that doesn't look very good, you know, from a conflict of interest perspective. Uh, and so, you know, there's going to be a lot of analysis as, as to what went wrong. I think the issue now is that we're kind of in crisis mode and trying to make sure it doesn't happen again to other banks. Well, I want to get into that in just a sec, but I wanted to ask you first, because you, you were talking about uninsured versus insured. And obviously everyone has heard about this $250,000 threshold. If the U.S., in your opinion, if your opinion, Pedro, if the U.S. had only protected uh, the bank customers per the FDIC guidelines of the $250,000, not the ones beyond that, what were some of the potential risks that we could have seen to this economy? Uninsured depositors of all other banks with similar features would have, you know, run to the teller or run to their phones in this case and taking their money out. That's the concern at least, right? And so and so that was the, the, the issue was to prevent a bank run from turning into a, ca a cascading, you know, runs on different banks of increasing size potentially. Yeah. And so far it has stemmed the, it has stemmed the problem. The issue is that now we have a problem with a major bank in Europe, which is Credit Suisse. And that's led to a similarly like violent market reaction over here with with the sell-off in stocks and and bond yields falling sharply. So, you know, market moves have been very, very extreme, like that, you know, unseen in my entire career. So well, let me let's stay on that for a second, because you were mentioning before about maybe what some of the other banks are going to do steps-wise. What are some other banks either doing or probably discussing in the wake of SVP's collapse to avoid becoming this next bank to, you know, to succumb to all of this? That's a good question. I mean, it, one would hope that banks would were taking a good look at their books and maybe using this new Fed facility that they've created that allows banks to kind of borrow at cheaper rates and gives them some liquidity for the next year in order to get out of some of those loss-making positions. Uh, but they're also probably hoping that maybe there's some broader legislation that ensures all deposits and, 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 you know, and, and then the fear would be that if that happens, would that kind of create an incentive for people to make poor decisions in terms of bank management in the same way that SVB did is, you know, what people call moral hazard, would that create moral hazard? And so, 
there's a lot in the balance there, but it's opened up a Pandora's box of like reviewing like how exactly we we regulate mid-sized banks. Because you have to keep in mind, SVU is a bank that like I cover this stuff pretty closely. I don't cover banks, I cover the Fed, but you know, I had never heard of SVB before this crisis, right? And and yet the the, the bank was treated as so-called a systemic bank, which means that it was like it's it's unraveling could have taken apart the financial system, which seems like a lot to say, but it's it's what's required in order to allow this sort of bailout process to take place. And so so here we are. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I, I had never heard of this bank either until you mentioned it. So I want to I want to stay on that front uh, before I let you go, Pedro, because the average listener, even myself right now, who maybe has a large bank, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. Let's give them some financial advice here. What, what, somebody's listening to this program and they say, well, I don't trust banks. I'm going to take my money out of bank. What would you recommend the average person right now who m- wants to make sure they're a little bit below that threshold or maybe they're a little bit above it and they just want to make sure their money is protected? What should they be doing? Well, again, for, if you're talking about the average, like most people don't have that kind of money, right? Like, do you know a lot of people that have 250000 in the I, bank? I, I, I do not. I do, <laughs> exactly. I do not. I mean, the issue is that this was also like, for some people, in some cases, it was like business accounts. And, and therefore, you were like affecting the ability of these firms in the West Coast to like make payroll on Monday. And that was the fear that this was going to create like, some huge breakage in the whole system of like payments throughout the country. That was also something they were trying to prevent. Uh, and so, you know, but you know, that's, that's also a major concern, right? Uh, if, if, but, but it, it feels like, so there were probably some good actors that were bailed out in the sense that there were the average worker that wouldn't gotten paid on Monday, got paid because of this, but there was also probably a random venture capitalist who, made a terrible bet, but got their money back anyway. And so uh, I guess we'd have to live with that in order for the system not to break. That's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Well, Pedro, I mean, you do a great job covering this. Like I mentioned, you, you've been so many places, Wall Street Journal, Reuters, just covering a lot of this news. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us, educating our audience. Go check out the FedSpeak podcast so you can read any of Pedro's work over at MNI Market News. Pedro, can't thank you enough for hopping on the pod. Continued success to you and please stay safe. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, my thank yous there to Pedro da Costa. Like I mentioned, former Fed reporter, Wall Street Journal, Reuters, uh, Business Insider. Now he's over at MNI Market News. You can go check out the Fed Speak podcast. Does a great job. I actually saw him on another show. Uh, shout out to Rick Sanchez, who had him on his podcast once upon a time. So I reached out to Pedro. I mean, <clears throat> Nick, uh, before I turn to you and, and we wrap here in this final segment, I was thinking about this because, you know, I'm, I'm in an Instagram, uh, Twitter comments battle right now. We've both been in battles. And the person is questioning something that I used to do back in the day when I worked in television, right? And I get heated about things that 
uh, are in the media space, specifically with television programming, anchors, talent, you get upset when issues cross over into education, right? Why? Because we have decades of experience in those fields. Like we've worked with like-minded individuals. We have friends that are still at these places. So I'm arguing with this numb nuts on Instagram about this stuff. And he's, it was about the Russell Brand clip. You're going to realize why I'm tying this all together. Because Russell Brand made a, 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 a joke about MSNBC and that they're propaganda just like Fox News. And I went into the comments section on this. I got tons of likes, like 30 comments, whatever. MSNBC is just like Fox News propaganda. And I'm trying to explain to people. And one person, because they lack reading comprehension, says, I'm not listening to a former PA. And I'm like, did you not start that sentence over and say it says former? That was 19 years ago. I've done other things in this business. The reason I've tied that all together here is because Pedro's been doing this for forever. He understands the financial markets. He talks about how he's covered the Fed for so long. And in his podcast, he does this stuff. He breaks down these issues that are happening. You and I know nothing about banking. You and I have never heard of these banks, just like Pedro, by the way, mentions. He's never heard of this bank. What do you make of, as I tie it all together, and I wanted to get that last part off my chest. Uh, I tie it all together here. What do you make of everything that happened with SVB last week, the Biden administration's response? What is, what's some of your read on all this? Yeah, you know, first and foremost, regarding the the comments, I, and you sh- you shared some screenshots of me, which I appreciated. I said to you in text, and I'll say it here on air, thank you, you know, to to people who are stupid enough, um, you know, to question your your background in media. I salute you, folks, because all you're doing is just signal boosting, uh, and you're also showing your ass too, because not it's not just the title of the work, which tells me you really don't know what being a production assistant is, right? On a smaller level, I did it for a radio station, and my responsibilities were far smaller than Mike's. But if you're crazy enough to try to call me up and try to say or you know email the show and say, "Well, what do you know? You're a PA," you know, in radio, I, I'll call you out. I mean, easily. Um, one of the first things that Pedro brought up was it really answered the question that I've been hearing in text chats I've had with friends and friends who bank or lawyers or what have you, which was. You know, what was the cause of this? You know, was it inflation? Was it just simply printing money, as a friend of mine likes to say, which was the all which was his catch-all for this? Well, you know, the government's giving so much money away, and you know, investors are having less or the, the, their assets are valued less. Or is it really just poor management? Or is it just placing a bad bet? And those last two I just said were exactly what Pedro brought up. You know, he led with that ultimately what we can see with Silicon Valley Bank is a track is a track record, at least recently, of poor bank management. You know, and as Pedro brought all these things up, what comes up for me is that it was a drastic over, oversimplification you know, to blame the government, to blame inflation. This is just folks placing bad bets, but frighteningly impacting a bank. And something that Pedro also brought up is the fact that prior to this story, Here's a Fed reporter openly no way admitting that Silicon Valley Bank was about as real or as aware to him as it was to us. And I want that to sink in for a moment for everyone here. This is a person who reports on, on what goes on at the Fed, which is talking, which is to say at the federal level, when we understand banking in America, Pedro's a guy that you would talk to. And Silicon Valley Bank barely registered on his radar. And yet, this particular bank had the had the possibility 
of causing further damage in our country. You know, Pedro also brought up the fact that, you know, when you think about the, the protection of investments past the 250,000 threshold, you know, from the FDIC, what benefited from that? And I really like the fact that he equated, well, not so much equating, the fact that people were able to make payroll, you know, employees like you and I, is a good thing. At the same time, you know, people who also benefited were venture capitalists who had some of their investments protected in this. And, you know, as Pedro rightfully brings up, you know, there's a good and bad to this, quote unquote, good and bad. And it's important to recognize that. But going further, you have to ask yourself from a regulatory standpoint, and I liked how he brought up, you know, the 2018 Dodd-Frank changes and what impact that may have had here, is that in 2023, when we understand how banking changes, that we have to rethink what regulation looks like. And I know that's a word for conservatives that pe- get people all sorts of nervous. But in a capitalist economy like or capitalistic society as we have, there is a certain form of regulation that is needed. And historically, when that regulation sees a dip, we see alternatively a form of economic collapse. See 1928 as a good example, or 1929. And that is not to say that I'm banging on the desk you know, for a need of regulation. What I am saying is that there needs to be an examination of what, we, what current regulatory policies we have in place. And ultimately, Pedro led off with the fact that this was just a learning experience for him you know, prior to this work. You know, this was all something he was just learning on the fly and developed his expertise, which goes to what you said at the start. Yeah. Well, Pedro does a great job. Like I said, go check out all of Pedro's work uh, over at the Fed Speak podcast or MNI Market News for this show. Audio podcast platforms, you know, by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Check out the video portions of our interviews over on our YouTube channel. Type in Can We Please Talk podcast and we should pop right up. Uh, shout out to everybody who listens to this program, writes us in uh, comments on Instagram. Shout out to that guy in Texas for not knowing his stuff. As always, I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. We'll see everybody next time. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.